0: Meanwhile, recorded live in the Lava Lamp Lounge, it's Somewhere in Between, a radio zine. News, music, culture, stories, and more. This show is what we make of it, and hopefully you'll join us in the fun, too. Now let's get started. And welcome to a sequel that's actually good. It's issue 41 Writing and Producing the Future, Part 2. If you tuned in last week, then you may have caught the beginning of a conversation between myself, my friend Heather Zykowski of the Sound of Tomorrow program, uh, and uh, some of the creators of the Max Headroom television show including brian frankish steve roberts and michael cassett well we're going to pick that conversation up basically where we left off where they were talking a little bit about what it was like to produce the show and some of the behind the scenes elements and situations they found themselves in as they were producing it
1: some interesting things did happen while we were involved in all of this this scriptor, and because it, it dealt with you know elements and characters that, that came to life out of just you know shooting the shit with each other or grabbing a beer you know for three seconds as we passed each other quickly I'll be brief you know, when, when Rick Shaw appeared yeah. uh, uh and, and in one you know pulling an actual rickshaw, and then in the next episode it was motorized but then all of a sudden those episodes got changed Mm -hmm. and uh, now all of a sudden he regressed and and how do we get around that and things like that well it's not that bad maybe no one will notice and then they they developed on on the uh what was it Uh, what was the opposing networks 66 or
2: something Oh yeah, sixty-six. We were network twenty-three, and those was yeah. networks. Yeah, sixty-six was one. Sixty-nine, I think, got frowned on by the network. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine why. I
1: think Wag was was sitting around with people uh, as they were, they were brainstorming this thing, and he said, "Got to get a name of, of a character for for this this uh, this evil head of studio," and and uh, and uh, he said, "What's good? What's good?" And I, I, one of my one of my great friends in this business, and one of my mentors, was Jack Grossberg.
3: Jack Grossberg began his work in film in 1957 and went on to produce a number of films in Hollywood, including the 1976 version of King Kong. Brainstorm and Back to the Future. He and Brian worked on both. Everything you always wanted to know about sex, but were afraid to ask, and Strange Brew. And it would make sense that they would develop a connection working on these films.
1: And I haven't mentioned. I think Grossberg would be a good one anyway. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Let's go. Let's let's go go there. You think we can pull that off? <laughs> and you know, we would do this. We would throw our friends into into the the story. Yeah. List. As, as we went
2: along.
4: Who are you in this
2: story? Yeah, and also the, the, the one of the, the evil characters was a gentle a Chinese gentleman and we had no idea what to call him and we were driving along and I looked up and saw a sign which I truly didn't understand because in the UK these signs don't exist and the sign said Ped Zing, which I learnt was pedestrian crossing <laughs> we called the character Pedzing right away and I mean that's, that's how this stuff evolved. Let's try and have some fun.
1: That was on an admiralty Way in Marina del Rey that
2: you saw that sign. Because I believe you're right. <laughs> I like that you know the exact location. That's great. I have a photographic memory. know. Yeah. yeah, well, this is the sort of stuff Frankish does know, I promise you. You know, he probably knows what car we were in. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I love that you guys mentioned Rick because uh, I was sitting here thinking about Rick uh, as a character who, I mean, he's super memorable, great scenes with him. Uh, and then he seems to have popped up in some movies that were made after that, uh, did the Wachowskis ever mention anything about the design of their Morpheus character kind of looking a whole lot like Rick? Welcome to the desert
4: of the real. Be nice to animals. News to me. Um, News to me, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Interesting. Or perhaps worth
4: looking into, just for fun.
0: Yeah. It <laughs> Seems like they might yeah. have seen Max Headroom, perhaps. If I were to hazard a guess. Well, if...
4: if they didn't. I don't know who they are because <laughs> they would have been the perfect age to have, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, had that yeah. land on them. The results are inconclusive. Um,
2: I may, uh, Michael will correct me if I'm wrong here, or or Brian. One of them can. I think the first show we pulled 20 million, and the last show we pulled 12 million. Nowadays, you'd be made president if you pulled 12 million for
0: anything. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That'd be a five-season I mean, deal after that. You could write
4: your own ticket. Yeah. I mean, it was, but that was. Well, when when we premiered our first six episodes in the spring, we had all the interest and hype and promotion
2: and a perfect time slot. I slept with her. Who's falling for who on Moonlighting? And Tom Shales of the Washington Post calls Max Headroom the most visually original and distinctive series since Miami Vice. You're kidding. The first new idea network television has had since Moonlighting, says the Associated Press. Why the long face, so sensationally arresting, it makes you want to hoot out loud, says the Baltimore Sun. Make room for Headroom. Max Headroom after Moonlighting Tuesday.
4: So mm-hmm. we did fairly well in those first six episodes. And then they, mm-hmm. as networks do, and we made fun of this in the next six episodes or seven episodes we did, um, they moved us to a time slot opposite Dallas and The new miami vice yeah it doesn't
3: make sense Walk these landings like visual halitosis compared to max and lifestyles
0: so why are they accelerating like this they've never been this close this is obviously linked to this morning's tell election this rating surge holds they'll win the audience meter auto count by nine o'clock i
3: can't believe it will hold the male lead is sensationally bad
0: the whole show is sensationally bad that's why so many people watch it but why all night why now just in time to grab ratings for the tell election call Chevy. We have a crisis.
3: Brian has now gone off camera and has retrieved a copy of the April 20th, 1987 issue of Newsweek to share with the other people on the call.
4: That, that, I picked up that cover. I remember that. I picked that up at the newsstand on Van Nuys Nuys Boulevard as I was driving to... Culver City. Mm-hmm. I picked it up on my birthday. Happy
3: birthday,
0: Michael. Thanks. It was the first um, first time I asked my parents to get me a Newsweek was, was when that <laughs> came out.
3: My parents <laughs> subscribed April. to Newsweek and we got that one. Yeah.
4: April
1: 20th, mm-hmm. 1987.
4: There you go. Nice. And which means it was available on April 13th. So uh, <laughs> that's how I remember picking it up. All and right. I'm thinking, Wow, this this TV stuff was a lot of fun. I didn't realize I'd peaked on April thirteenth, (laughs) nineteen (laughs) eighty-seven.
1: Max Headroom's on the cover of
4: Newsweek. Don't you just love love, love it?
1: It's the television of tomorrow. You know, you know, you know me. Straight to the heart. The whole country's
2: mad about Max. (laughs) They did love me. I have a copy of that too. So, uh, how? Uh, uh, How many more have you got coming up, Michael? Birthdays. Yeah, um, hope hope a few. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't yes. know. Is this my last one? Is there something? Uh, <laughs> the the great, great I, I, yeah. You're, you're doing better. I'm looking at this and looking at Frankish and thinking those boys haven't got more than a week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you still look like you're about 25. I've taken very good care of my skin.
0: His uh um, thing hasn't gone off yet to indicate that he's almost 30. So he's uh, he's still uh, okay. got a little more time.
2: Capricorn 15s, born 2244 enter the carousel this is the time of renewal
4: yeah well we'll 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 just see it's a contest i i hope to win depending (laughs) what the prize is uh, (laughs) it's a toaster
0: Uh, you
4: know uh genetics and uh growing up in wisconsin where there was a lot of beer not drinking a lot of beer (gasps) <gasps> oh, ah, I mean, as, a, as a youth <laughs> yeah.
0: You had to acquire a taste
2: It's
4: the water and
2: a lot more I should point out by the way That, that although we haven't collectively Been together uh, Over the years we have individually Because I see Brian a lot And uh, Mike and I get together Whenever Covid stops us getting into a bar So mm. yes. we we, we, um, we do still uh, Communicate a lot Cheers And Matt Fruer, for that matter. I, I see Matt up here. I'm up in the Pacific Northwest. And as you know, Matt lives just up the road here. But again, COVID, he's over the border in Canada. And we can no longer get to each other on these trips.
0: Yeah, I suspect.
3: So something that I need to ask while I have you all here, anybody who's listened to any other episode of this program knows that I'm completely... I'm completely, like, wild about this. I love that this happens. Brian mentioned Theora's bedroom. Hmm. And what I would really like to know is who decided and why that she parks her car in her house.
4: I can't take credit for that at all, although I love it.
2: <laughs> it was always thus. Uh, it was because she lived originally, I think, in the UK original. She lived in a warehouse Um and um, so she would park her car in the corner of the warehouse where her bed happened to be. Mm. It was all part of being Blade Runner ish, wasn't it? That's what we're all doing, <laughs> yeah. to be frank. Okay, you said it,
3: not me. <laughs> okay.
2: That, so that made sense to us completely.
3: I've been fascinated by it from, from the very outset. I was just like, she parks in her house. <laughs> How does she even? Yeah. Isn't that weird?
0: Well, and, and I always attribute it to this kind of like music video logic of kind of like driving into the bedroom kind of thing. Um, but uh, as it continued in the show, I was like, oh, no, it's 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 more of like a, a utilitarian thing. Oh,
2: it's just easier, honey.
1: Well, I mean, the vehicles had so much to do with the style and the look mm-hmm. from from the old Studebakers. Yeah. You know? Yeah to to the big-time
2: bus. Yes. So, now the big-time bus. Big-time television! Big-time television! 24 hours of the day, day, after day, making tomorrow like yesterday! Yes!
1: <laughs> you know, um, and, and we were always talking about, well, put the wheels back on the bus, you know, mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and even Edison Carter uh, and how he w- was totally mobile all the time. Mm. you know it's uh, it just had to do with with having unusual vehicles and was wasn't Randy Peters our coordinator our transportation coordinator yeah he uh, was Randy yeah
3: announcer Mitch here Randy Peters has two credits listed for their work on Max Headroom both under stunts and as transportation coordinator Randy's career goes all the way back to 1974 and has worked on countless films and television programs randy holds an atp pilot certificate and a commercial rotorcraft certificate for seaplane flight and is the only stunt driver to pilot optimus prime in all the transformers films
1: and he was very good at this uh, because I, I i had worked with i would work with randy i met randy on brainstorm
2: suppose it were possible to transfer from one mind to another the experience of another person
0: hey there it is
2: any person any experience hmm.
1: and uh and then we had to work together again on a picture called in the mood phil robinson's first picture
4: wait a minute you can't send me to jail for six years for falling in love
1: in the mood rated pg-13 so, which was another pretty picture and in those it, nowadays when you make a motion picture you you hired a, a picture car coordinator you know and he gets paid a lot of money and he hires a lot of people and they and and but no uh, Randy did did it all it's a gift and, and, and he did a beautiful job yeah. uh and and uh, people really liked the unusually you know insane things he showed up with you know <laughs> for, for vehicles Where did you- oh, get that. and at the same time he would also have to end up with these big petty petty bone skip loaders that that would help load our sets into into buildings that were inaccessible, you know, so to speak. He'd have to build roads down beaches and and so on and so forth to, to get things. I mean and he was you know, he was younger than all of us, thank God
0: <laughs> at the beginning. Yes.
4: Yeah, yes, he probably <laughs> aged five years for every year he was on Max.
0: Isn't that, isn't that how that always works?
4: You're older than you've ever been, and now you're
0: even older. Yeah, I, I am just constantly fascinated by what you got away with on this show, like things that you've snuck into the background. I feel like... There's little references to, like, the Church of the Subgenius.
4: Slack, what is it? Well, if you have to ask, you will never know. You were born with original Slack, an infinite supply of it.
0: Or um, th- there's mannequins in the backgrounds of shots that are doing some very interesting things uh, uh, <laughs> uh, with each other or, or or to each other, depending on um, uh, your point of view. Just keep an open mind. Be cool. And And, and even you know, as someone who's seen this several times, I'll catch a little something in the background where I'm like, how did they get away with that? Is there something that when you think about the show that you're, like, pretty proud of being able to get into an episode or you're like, wow, this is a, such an excellent opportunity that nobody noticed this that is speaking to an audience somewhere else?
2: Oh, boy, that's, that's a cultural question. Uh, the, the, <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> uh, what we got away with on screen is one thing, and that would be a, a lot to do with... Um, Hints possibly in the in the teleplay uh, but also a lot to whoever was directing it and had caught the sense of humor
1: i'm with it i'm hip mm. and also leslie frankenheimer was the set decorator yeah
0: oh, okay and,
2: right so yeah yeah
3: announcer mitch here leslie mccarthy Frankenheimer was a set decorator who began working in film in 1980 leslie's career included working on a number of film and tv projects Including the Blues Brothers, Star Trek: Voyager, and L.A. Law, Leslie might be one of the few people to have worked on both Blade Runner and Max Headroom. Unfortunately, she passed away in 2013.
2: But we we had we had that same cultural problem with with everything. I mean, standards and practices would turn up, you know. Uh, and, uh, and start arguing about what we're allowed to put into a screen. I mean, I've actually had a conversation where I've said, I'll trade you two in Act 3 for a bugger in Act 1. I mean, it's ludicrous. Oh, so, is it a deal? They used to do this shit. So anything you could get away with, you know, that they didn't have time to, to uh, involve themselves in was a little bonus. So I guess a lot of it was mischief. Did
1: you see that? No, and neither did you, so no. shut up. I, didn't see
4: that. I can also say regarding standards and practices is that one of my, my jobs at cbs had been in standards and practices uh, before i became a writer and so i was not only aware of the where you could push and how you could manage them but i believe the guy at abc was he may have been i believe it was jim berg was his name certainly the head of it as
3: far as our research is concerned jim is a blank
4: he was a former colleague of mine from that world before he would moved over and so it was not to say that i that I played him or encouraged Steve to play him, but we sort of, I had a real sophisticated view of what would work and what wouldn't and what was likely to trigger and what stage of the process it was likely to trigger. And I will tell you that yes, generally by the time you got to the set and and mannequins having sex in the background, it was past the point where they could actually do much about it without actually taking the show off the air. Oh no, they're not doing what I think they're doing.
2: Yeah. Which of course they eventually did anyway. <laughs> well, yes, that they, they, realized, they had the Wait, last laugh. And that's because they realized what it was about. I mean, it yes, was about yeah. them and their idiocy. Yeah. Have you
0: looked in the mirror lately? Well, the
1: whole show, the whole concept of the show, when we're at the post group, you know, at at four o'clock in the morning, trying to get a get to a satellite link, you know, in in <laughs> in, 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 in 24 hours. Uh, uh we're, we're so <laughs> far behind in the post-production of this making up stuff with bruno george <laughs>
2: yeah. you know, it, it,
1: it, you know, inventing visual effects uh in, in, a very, in an era that was just beginning to realize what they were trying to figure out how to put uh this character of max headroom inside a computer right. you know we were asked to do the impossible and and there's this guy sitting outside uh, uh sweating on a bench who wasn't allowed in the room and he was the gentleman from standards practices and i right. turned to peter and i said why, why is this guy sitting out here sweating he said well i think it's because he realizes that what we're doing is we're satirizing his bosses can we even do that in theory and they're ter- they're terrified of what of what they're we're, we're going to say about them mm. you know yeah. because because we're really, really, you know, George Coe is them. The
2: Gentlemen, as our foremost client, we naturally place you in the first position. Which presenter is this? He's named Max Hedrum.
1: <laughs> oh <Yeah. my> God. <laughs> I had
4: so much fun writing the Network 23 boardroom. Mm, Whenever I yeah. wrote that, it was it was a dream yeah. for me because I had been in that boardroom. Right. I'd yeah. been yeah. the little guy in a blue jacket down at the far end, but with big ears. So. Mm-hmm.
3: Right in the middle of a global rating sweep. Can you
1: imagine worse timing, Murray? No, sir. It was spectacularly
4: bad timing.
0: As a young person watching this, too, you know, so much TV is just... was so boring and so derivative and whatnot. And and, and, so I'm, like, flipping through the channels watching Moonlighting one night. night. And this comes on and i instantly kind of clicked with it where I was like, this is anarchist, this is punk rock, this is, you know, uh, anti corporate, you know something about it just kind of spoke to me in this way where I was like, there's all this fake stuff around me and this is the one thing that's kind of like saying, Hey, the emperor has no clothes. Have you seen this? And and as a as a young, snotty teen, that would just that felt like Yes, this is for me. <laughs> it's time to play. Where do I feel seen?
1: Well, it's it's a pity that that we are not able to do it today because boy, the the material that we have on mainstream, you know, to to mm-hmm. attack mainstream media today is, is huh. with is phones incredible. and iPads and, writers and would things. Just have an absolute ball if they were allowed to go free and 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 show these who
2: they really are today. The
4: more things change, the more they stay the same.
2: Mm. But oh, yeah. Um, yes yeah, perfect it's the perfect mechanism for now
4: i have the perfect thing make room
2: for headroom but it's not it's i can tell you it's never going to happen uh and it, we we have had uh people of enormous uh financial clout look into this um people who really wanted to do more max headroom
3: just name your prize dear
2: and the legal um Problems that exist where everybody claims that they, you know, are it, own it, mm-hmm. invented it, created it. The whole thing is. I'm Spartacus. I, I, I'm Spartacus. I'm
0: Spartacus. I'm Spartacus.
2: I'm Max, Max, Max,
0: <laughs> Max, Max, I'm Max Headroom. I'm Max Headroom.
3: I'm Max Headroom.
2: No, I'm, Max Headroom. <laughs> I'm Spartacus. Yeah, I mean, and it's absurd because because you know Max did not come into the world ready-made. He, he turned up in London as, as a chaotic idea with nowhere to go, a script that was a pile of old crap, according to the producer and the director. And then how the hell do we save it? And similarly, money had been found to make it, but nobody had anything to make.
1: Looks like we're in a bit of a pickle.
2: And nobody created Max Hedrum. It was a huge team. And that team, uh, you know, began in London and, and continued here. Max evolved all the time. Nobody ever thinks people like Matt Frewer. He is Max Hedrum. Right. He Invented most of his own dialogue for crying out loud. We were not as good as he was at doing his own dialogue. You know what security guards are like? Shoot,
1: shoot, shoot first, and still argue about whether you can come in.
2: Oh, he yeah. would go crazy, and he
1: would get started getting nuts. We had an outtake reel that was just that was just vile. How
0: <laughs> be the judge of that? <laughs> wow! I, I would I, love to see that. Mm, <laughs> words out of my mouth.
3: <laughs> Hint hint.
0: Yeah, yeah. So would so <laughs> somebody's attorney, I'm sure. Right. Yes.
2: <laughs> do will be a buzzkill.
0: You just heard part two of our conversation with Brian Frankish, Steve Roberts, and Michael Cassant three of the creative team members who produced Max Headroom in the late 80s. There's more of this conversation coming your way, so please stay tuned. And why not visit the show notes on this particular episode, BetweenRadioZine.com, and you'll find a link to a video of this conversation that you can watch and enjoy. Thank you. And that's going to do it for us this week here on the program. Somewhere in Between, a radio zine. Writing and Producing the Future, Part 2. Issue 41. Contained, Writing and Producing the Future, Part 2. Written by Heather Zykowski and Austin Rich. And featuring a conversation with Brian Frankish, Steve Roberts, and Michael Cassett. Merrily, merrily, merrily merrily. Life is but a dream. This episode was produced by Austin Rich in the Lava Lamp Lounge and was assembled using only the finest in 20th century technology. In the long-standing tradition of most zines, there is an open submission policy here. If you have a story, music, or poetry that you'd like to send in or read, or you just want to be a part of the show, why not drop a line to austinrich at gmail.com? That's going to do it for us this week. You guys are wonderful. You guys are beautiful. Without you, there would be no program. Be seeing you.